Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The idea of resiliency. This is a word that has been coming up a lot, especially in the last couple of years with COVID. And it was a word that was definitely in my world before that, although It used to live very much how I think of grit, how I think of like digging in, getting it done, doing the hard work. As I have been continuing in my relationship with the word resiliency, for me, I have realized that it is actually more about recovery. There's been so much in the last couple of years in particular with the great resignation, with organizations looking at how are we organized and how are we doing what we're doing, with managers really taking another look at how do I get the best, the most from my people? How do I have them be the most engaged? And there are challenges and bumps in the road all the time. And really, I think not so much. It's about how do we toughen through it? How do we like persevere? It's more about how do we recover? How do we come back to ourselves, how when we fall down, when there's a challenge, when there's a speed bump, how do we recover ourselves? And in the midst of all of the work that we're doing, all of the things that we've got going on, how do we build time into that for recovery? And I got to thinking about this whole idea of resilience because of our guest for today. So Michael Poldy is the CEO of Poldy Resiliency Partners, where Michael guides business leaders to reduce their business risk and respond to crises, all while protecting their brand, their employees, and their clients. Michael has over 25 years of technology information risk management, and operation experience, including over two decades in leadership roles at IBM. At Michael's last assignment at IBM, he led their global business continuity response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Michael is also an award-winning speaker and author of professional and peer-reviewed papers, blogs, 
and the host of the Risk Stories podcast. That's Risk Stories with an exclamation point and has published three different books. Michael, welcome to the show. Hello, Janine. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. I'm thrilled to have you here with us today. So, Michael, tell me, what is something that you have become aware of that people are not paying attention to, either consciously or unconsciously? And what's the cost of that inattention? Let me provide a couple of different responses to that. First of all, on a on a personnel point of view, in a human relations point of view, what I'm finding more and more is how few people actually get on video when they are on a Zoom. They'll be invited to a Zoom session, whether it's three people or a hundred people. And I am amazed at how few individuals will turn on their video. So many times I'm the only person who has their video running and, and people were like, oh, well, that's kind of a neat background you have. I mean, for, for people on the podcast who obviously can't see us, I have a stack of a vertical bookcase, a vertical stack of books. It's six feet, 10 inches high, but it's such a great way to connect with people and have a personal experience when you can visually see who you're talking to. And so many people miss that opportunity. And I think that's a great loss how so many people on one side are saying, I'm at home. I don't feel connected with the people I work with or people I speak with, yet they're not willing to present themselves and open up that connection. I mean, I find a few times if I have my video on, there will be a few people who will turn their, it's like I've shamed them. They'll turn theirs on because you have yours on. Or you have compelled them or, you know, because they see you, they're like, oh, I like being able to see his face. So I'm going to turn mine on too. Exactly. Now that's from the personal point of view, from a connection point of view, from a professional point of view, the resiliency point of view that we've talked about that you opened the show with that, quite frankly, I live in pretty much every day of my life, both personally and professionally. I see so much exposure. I see so many organizations, business owners, business leaders, people with families neglect to protect themselves and those around them. And I'll give you a really simple example. People have their phones and they expect that those phones are backed up. But the reality is, is most of those phones don't have the settings properly configured. So their phones will back up correctly. And no one checks. I'm at lunch with a friend of mine and he goes, my phone, I just lost my phone, but I can't get my data back. He goes, he hands me the phone. He goes, what's wrong? And I look at it and it's like, well, your setting is wrong. So you haven't been backing up. So what are we supposed to do? I actually literally just picked up my phone because <laughs> I've got so much stuff. I've got not only the emails, which are also, of course, on my computer, but so many photographs, videos, notes. We'll do a quick tech support tutorial. Excellent. For those of you who are running iPhones, if you go to settings and at the very top, you'll see your name and it'll say Apple ID and cloud, push that. And then scroll down about halfway. You'll see something that says iCloud, push that button. And then where it says manage storage. And then below that, you'll see it says photos and iCloud backup and keychain. Turn on anything you want to back up. 
So if you want your photos backed up, you turn, you hit that and brings up the settings for our iCloud photos. You turn that to on, and then you go to iCloud backup and you turn that on and keychain, which is your passwords. So if you keep your passwords on your phone, where Apple says, would you like us to save your password? Which security people will say, that's not a good idea, but most people do it. So back it up. Most of your passwords have been compromised anyway, so change them regularly and you'll be fine. But anyway, you go through that list and you'll see contacts, calendars, notes, messages. Just go down the list and decide what you want backed up. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. If somebody is not on Apple phone. If you're on an Android, most of, everyone's either on an iPhone or an Android platform. If you're on an Android platform, it's a similar type. I'm not an Android user, so I can't tell you the exact spot, but it's a similar process. You need to go on that system and identify where the backup settings are and back it up. And then another option is you can just back it up to your computer. That's another. That's for another day. The reality is, is if you think about it, that simple example we just went through, so many people just think it happens. They don't have to do anything. And the good news is, for the most part, people really don't have to do a lot of things, but you have to be present. Kind of like the example with you know showing your video, you have to be present. You have to be present when you're talking to other people, whether you're thousands of miles away or you're in the coffee shop, you need to be present. It's the same thing with your technology in your business. You have to be present and you have to ask the right questions to make sure that people are doing their jobs or the technology is doing what you expect it to do. A common phrase I like to use, again, I stole this from someone, backup is easy, recovery is hard. Simple thing we just went through where we pushed a few buttons and now your phone is backing up to its heart's content up into the cloud, which is great. If you lost your phone, then the next question is, well, how do I recover? Well, the good news is for Apple users, Apple makes it very easy to recover off the cloud. You just have to set your, enter your passwords and it comes down. But if you're running a small business and even if you have, well, my IT is in the cloud or my QuickBooks is in the cloud, that protects you only so far. In some cases, it's 100%. You're great because the organization that is doing that, they, have their, they take their own backups. And they test those backups and they make sure it works. And there's a contract and they, they give you a report once, a, once every six months or once a year that says that, yes, we've tested it and it works. It's great. But for most companies, large companies, they don't do that. They don't test their recovery. Go to your accountant and ask them, when was the last time that you had a security vulnerability scan or you simulated what you would do if your business was hit by ransomware? and my data was stolen, when was the last time you simulated that activity? You get some pretty blank stares. Or they would say something to the effect of, well, we have a cybersecurity company who does that. We have an IT company that does that. And then the comment goes into, well, have you really reviewed the contract to understand what they're responsible for? And have you tested them? Or have you had them come over and just give you, spend an hour with you to explain what they did? and do it in business terms versus the techno magic hocus pocus that the tech people like to use with the unsuspecting lawyer or doctor or independent consultant. Right. I mean, I will take my car to a shop or the dealership or, you know, where, wherever it is I'm taking it, depending upon what it is that needs to be done. 
and they will say all these words to me, many of which I don't know what they mean. And in every industry, I, I was with a client the other day, and I just kept laughing about how many acronyms there are in their business and in their industry. And I spent almost a decade in the trash and recycling world. And there's so many acronyms in that world. And, you know, so we get when we're immersed in a world, we get used to that language and then we forget how to speak normal people, how to speak English, how to speak it in a way that somebody can understand it. And, and as a consumer, it's really important to push those folk to speak in a way that we can actually understand what they're talking about. So when they're when we're talking with the IT professional, encouraging, pushing, forcing, <laughs> whichever of those words it needs to be, them to speak in a language so that I can actually understand what they're telling me. I do this my accountant sometimes and our tax people sometimes. I don't know what we're talking about anymore. I need some more words or different words. I used to work for a, a manager, great manager, became a great friend. And when we would have presentations, internal presentations or internal discussions, and people would use acronyms or they would place the acronym on the chart. He was meticulous about having them spell it out. Don't use the term ADC. It's an auxiliary data controller, whatever that is, but, but spell it out so no one doesn't have to interpret it or because sometimes some of these acronyms could be many different things. That was something that was a very learning experience. But again, bringing it back to the IT discussion or the business conversation, too many times people, they're not understanding what's the backup plan or what's the recovery plan, or they're focused on the technology of it. Well, what happens when our when we get hit by ransomware? Oh, well, I've got an IT person. They'll recover our data. Well, what happens if the data is not available? Oh, well, I call the security person. Well, the security people, they're just responsible for fixing your security or getting your network up. They're not responsible for recovering your data. Okay, well, who talks to the client? Well, I guess that would be me. What are you going to tell that client when you have their personal and private information is now on some dark web somewhere in the middle of nowhere and their credit cards are now being exploited and their passwords are now being exploited? What are you going to tell them? I don't know. Do you have an attorney lined up? I have my cousin, Joe, who's a family law attorney. It's like, well, that's not going to help you. I used him for my divorce. Exactly. That's not going to help you when the State Department or the Department of Justice calls you and wonders why you've given $10,000 of ransomware money to a, a terrorist organization, which, by the way, that's against the law and you may be fined or have to go to jail. Yikes. <laughs> Lots of folks who are listening to this have businesses. Lots work for companies where we take people's personal information, where we might accept credit cards or we end up having people's data. What are the ways in which we should be paying attention? What are the ways in which we should be making sure that people's information is protected, whether it's our information or somebody else's information? Well, first of all, know who your experts are and understand where you are vulnerable in your environment. I mean, it's always good to have either your resident expert or outside expert. I mean, have someone come in 
and let you know where your risks are to your business. Is your risk in your people because they're not properly trained? Do you have security training once a month or once a quarter or once a year? Do you have policies so people understand how to keep passwords set up? Just to understand what things that, for example, how you should construct your business or how your gap, what the gaps are with what you're currently doing and what best of breed is. That's one thing. Second item is, is what's important. Rank your business processes. What's the real important parts of your business? Is it, do you have an e-business e where you got a website where you're taking money? Is your business dependent upon the phone? People calling in and, and asking questions or scheduling meetings. Do you have a meeting scheduling system? What happens if those things aren't functioning? Your payroll is a good process. Your email is another good process. What happens if your email is down? Do you have an alternate way to communicate with your customers or with your employees? If your email is down or worse, is being monitored. If someone is monitoring your email, what do you do? And then come up with alternatives. For example, this is actually a really good example. I mean, there was a, a payroll company called Kronos. There's a couple of major paycheck companies in, in, that operate in the United States. Paychex is one, ADP is one, automated data processing. There's another company called Kronos. And Kronos, they got hit by a ransomware last year. And they were down, it was around Christmas last year. And they had to tell their clients, we're going to be down for about three weeks. Oh, my goodness. So good luck. It's a time where really nobody needs to get paid. It's not going to be a problem. People are not concerned at all about having enough money over the holidays. Don't worry about it. Real simple thing to do. So here's some simple suggestions for people that they should do. One, multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. Some people, so what that means is, so I say to go to your banking website, and a lot of times these banking websites, they'll say, just put in your user ID and password. Multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, and they do think technically they do things a little differently, but at the layman's level, it's the same thing. It's a third way to be authenticated. So you have your user ID, you have your password, and then once you enter those two, then you either you get a text to your phone, it'll say you know enter this six-digit number. Some banks go crazy and they give you a nine-digit number to enter. Some companies will say, use an authenticator tool, like Google has an authenticator, Microsoft has an authenticator, which is essentially, it's an app, runs on your phone. It's connected between you and the application. So like you and the bank, every time you log on, you just go to your authenticator and you just read whatever the number is on your phone and you type that in. So what that does is it makes it hard for people to log on to your system because they may steal your password. They may have integrated your email system, or maybe they have a keyboard logger or, you know, they can watch everything that, that you can do. So they have their, your user ID, even if you change your password, they have that, but it's very difficult for them to have access to your phone. And because of that degree of difficulty, it immediately, they'll move on to the next target. What do you think about facial recognition? So like my bank now recognizes my face, my iPhone recognizes my face and unlocks, which obviously through COVID has been a little bit of a challenge because we're wearing masks. When we've got a mask on, our phone doesn't know who we are anymore. But what do you think about facial recognition technology as being a good way, a more secure way or a less secure way to be monitoring these things? I think from a security point of view, I think facial recognition is, is great. I like it a lot. It's, it's very hard to compromise. So many faces are so, many, are so different. The technology will take 
images, different points on different faces. So it, it's really a good, fast way. There's a lot of ethical elements to facial recognition in terms of how it's being used, in terms of people being able to track you, identify you independently. For example, they use facial recognition at airports to detect people. Uh, if you're in certain countries like China, they use facial recognition all over the place. I mean, they're detecting everyone's face, everyone, everywhere people are, are walking. So there's no privacy. There's no way to be an independent or be free. I mean, someone is always watching. Big Brother is literally watching you all the time. So there's a lot of ethical issues of where to use facial recognition and how should it be used and how is the data stored. And my face is stored at my bank and the government needs a copy or they want to cross-reference that, then can they get it? I mean, the reality is the U.S. government has lots of pictures of my face. I mean, if we have a passport, they have a picture of your face. It's all a question of how they use it, though. That's the big challenge is, I mean, there was this one company that was doing facial recognition development work, and they were collecting people's faces just like off of these like uh, photo applications. You know, people just post their photos online. They bought the data. And they were downloading all this data. So they had like, you know, pictures of you and your family and me and my family. And they were using all of essentially probably 60% of the people in the United States. They were using their faces to help train facial recognition software. So that means they had, they had their names, they teaching the recognition of different colors of the skin and, and tone, complexion, the whole thing. And it's like, I don't want my data, my kid's birthday party photographs being used to train some AI photo recognition software. Right. It's unsettling. I mean, I'm not an expertise on that subject. And, and I'm sure if people who are listening to this are probably like cringing at some of the things I'm saying. And so it's like, uh, I'll put the caveat, you know, please talk to an expert. I am not an expert. I merely play one on TV. That's ex exactly right. But I think from uh, going back to the security realm, the general population, I mean, here's the thing with security. If we make it too hard, no one will use it. If we make it too easy, it doesn't work. So we got to find the right balance. And so that's why I like facial recognition. It gets you to turn on higher grade level of security and it protects your app. You know, is it going to be hundred percent protective? No, but are there exposures? Of course, but it's great. I mean, it's the same thing. Like on my MacBook, I have the finger authentication thing, which is great. So I don't have to remember. I use a password. Here's another little tip. Use a password manager. And there's many of them out there. One password, Keeper. So I use LastPass and I fought my husband forever on it. And looking back, I'm not really sure why I was such a pain in the ass about this, but I was like, no, no, it's fine. And then my Facebook got hacked. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now... I need a more sophisticated password that I'm not going to remember because it's got, you know, number signs and hashtags and, you know, whatever in the middle of it. And I now use LastPass and I really like it. Like now I got over my being snotty about it and now I really find it helpful and it connects to my phone and, and my computer. And so it makes it easy to have a complicated password where 
I've got more faith that nobody's going to be able to guess what that password is because I don't even know what it is. And it then reminds me periodically, you should change your password. Exactly. I mean, there's so many benefits. I don't know why everyone isn't using it. I have 650 different passwords because over because I've been using a password manager for probably about a decade before they were fashionable. And so I've got passwords to applications and systems that I don't even use anymore, but I need to keep different passwords and I need to understand what they have. And it's important for me to have a history. So when I get my report that says that, oh, well, this password on this account got hacked. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And I can go back in my password system and say, ah, here it is. This is where this account is. I can go on there now and just delete the account. And I know that that's not, it's not important. Example on Facebook, Facebook has two-factor authentication. Turn it on. The chance of you getting hacked again dropped to almost zero because it creates so much complexity for the people trying to break in that they just move on. It's like the story of the three little pigs. The wolf went to the straw house and the- uh, One house is made out of bricks and one house is made out of- But the brick house, you know, it was too hard. It was too hard to blow that down. You know, but those other two- wimpy houses, you know, easy to come over. Think about that as your passwords. When you have those simple passwords, it's easy. So I have an app on the iTunes store. Anyone can load it called Starfish Resiliency Center. And it provides some really basic policy and process information on passwords and backup and security and disaster recovery and some really basic things. And on that app, there's a document where I talk about creating passwords. And I talk about this two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication. And there's a table in there. It talks about how fast people can crack your password. Oh, goodness. And it's like, if you use a password of less than eight digits or less, and it's all numbers, it could be cracked in like minutes. Wow. If you start adding a letter to it or special characters, like a dollar sign or exclamation point, then that extends that to, it takes months And then if you just go a little bit longer and take that eight digit to, let's just say a 12 digit, then you're talking like years for someone to to crack your password. And, you know, they've given up. They've moved on to the next one. Right. They're looking for somebody whose password is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or, or password. Still the most popular password out there. You know, the hackers will move on to the, the house made of hay. Right. Where it just takes one breath and that house is down. Exactly. But if you're a business owner, I mean, simple things like making sure that all your people use strong passwords. I mean, too often business owners, if they have a number of, you know, let's just say they have 10 employees, they don't tell their employees, make sure your password is at least 10 digits or more and use. And not just numbers. Exactly. No one does that. I don't remember ever having that conversation either with my people or when I was somebody else's people. I talk to small business owners all the time and I tell them these stories and they go, yeah, that's a really a good idea. They don't do it. I've got an IT person or they just say, I have an IT guy. In the ubiquitous. Yeah, exactly. But you, you can't depend upon that. So y'all, if you're out there and listening to us, if you have people, go talk with your, well, and we all have people. I have several people who are part of my team, but I also have my husband and our kids and my parents and I have lots of people out there. So talk with your people and make sure that their phones are backing up as long as they're not like my mom who jokes and says she has a rotary cell phone. She has a a phone. It's so not a smartphone. It is essentially a paperweight and she only turns it on in emergencies. But if you're a normal human 
who has a phone with technology, make sure it's getting backed up. Make sure your computers are getting backed up, which is easier and easier these days. And make sure that your passwords are strong and all your people's passwords are strong. It's a simple conversation to have. All right. So I want us to pivot a little bit. You were talking a little bit when we were talking about the balance between having something be easy and something that people that will actually work. And I often call that harmony because I think when we think about balance and people talk about, you know, well, we need to have work-life balance. Like, no, you're actually not creating balance here. It's not that there are weights on each side and they, they equal each other. What we're trying to do is create harmony. What we're trying to do is create a system that works well. And obviously a lot of what I'm up to in the world of work is helping people create organizational harmony, have their people be their most awesome, most excellent, create the conditions where employees can be their best selves at work. And I know that when you started as a manager, you really cared about your people because that's who you are as a human. You care about people. And you had a transformation where you realized you weren't really setting your people free to be their most excellent selves. And I know that that's a place where lots of managers and leaders struggle. And so I want us to have a little time to talk about that. What did you do when you realized that you weren't fully setting your people free to bring their excellence to work? Well, I'd like to say I had this amazing epiphany, but that wasn't true. I would also like to say that over the course of decades of being a manager, I evolved to that form. And to some degree, there was some evolution as I became more sophisticated as a manager and hired more people, managed more people into their career of their choice, promoted people, and, and of course, fired people. The real transition happened when my wife passed away. I lost my first wife to suicide, and this was in 2009. And at the time, I was running business in, inside IBM. It was probably about a $100 million business in the United States. It was pretty large. So teeny, very insignificant. Right. I had a sales organization. I had a delivery organization. It was an important growing position for me. Within the IBM company, which then was probably worth around $80 billion, I mean, it was a, a rounding error for me and for the 100 plus people who worked with me and for me, it was pretty significant. And for our clients, we had somewhere around 75 to 100 clients at the time. And I lost my wife while all this was going on. And I was very intense, very type A, traveling a lot. It was easy for me to travel over 100,000 miles a year, 100 plus nights a year in hotel rooms. There was, there was a lot going on in my world. And then my wife, she dies. My life ended, quite frankly. I mean, it, it literally ended. It was saying it was difficult and hard does not give it justice. I'm not going to go into that, a lot of the personal discussions here, but my thought was when it first happened is... And I'm used to dealing with crisis. I've done this almost my entire career. I've dealt with disasters and crises. And I was like, well, this is my own crit set, my own critical situation. I'll be through this in about three weeks. So naive. I looked at it like I'm going to take an extended vacation from work. 
I'm going to focus on my kids. I'm going to focus on my family. I'm going to get through this and then I'll go back to work. It'll all be fine. And I had great people that worked for me. I had great managers, great colleagues, team, great people who, who I worked for. And three weeks came and went like nothing. And then it was four weeks and then it was six. And I could barely call in. If I worked an hour or two a day, that was a good day for me. I would open my email or sit in a presentation or on a conference call. And I would just be like the blank stare, very deflated. Again, I'm not doing justice to my true feelings at that time. And what happened was, as I stepped away, my team, both the key leaders of my organization, as well as the managers. So they were leaders, both management and non-management. I mean, we all had a good relationship. I mean, I think the biggest plus that I had going into this is we all, we had a good relationship. We had a very good professional relationship. We did a lot of things together. We supported a lot of clients. We won deals. We lost deals. We dealt with terrible outages. We essentially were in battle together. Those experiences in the trenches, I think, are so transformative in the power of team, in the connections that those create. Exactly. We had an amazing team. And when I essentially got injured and I was out of the game, so to speak, they stepped up. They ran the business for me. Occasionally it would be, Mike, we just need you on this call. Or can you just approve this? Or we want to do this. Or here it is because I needed to just like sign something off. And sometimes my management would just step in and just say, don't worry, Michael doesn't need to be involved here. We've got this. There were things that were happening. I had no idea they were happening. You know, fast forward. So it took about a year before I really kind of got some semblance of sea legs back. It took several years before I actually was able to really perform at a level not at the same level, but just kind of get within 80% of that. Trauma takes it out of us. I mean, looking back, I probably say it was, took four to five years before I even came close to acting and responding the way I was. But during that time period, during that first year, that team, it was like, I didn't really need to be there. And, and I say that in a very positive way, meaning that if I'd recognized that their capabilities sooner, then I could have delegated more. I could have allowed them to grow faster and help them recognize their true potential. Unknowingly, what I had been doing, even though I thought that I was doing great things prior to that turning point, the reality is I probably was doing too much. And I wasn't letting the leaders who worked with me, giving them the real opportunities for them to grow and expand. And we so often do that. We think we're helping our team. We think we're helping our people and something happens and we realize we're not. Or the opposite. I had an amazing conversation with a gentleman named Jay Steinfeld, who was talking with me. He was the owner and founder of blinds.com. He actually was a crappy manager. Uh, he would yell at people if they did it 90% of his way but not 100% of his way. He would yell at them. He never sort of at a boy, at a girl, praised, appreciated. And then his wife died. And he went through a similar sort of introspection. And for him, he came out much more in a place where you already were. 
but he changed the mission of the company so that the mission of the company became having his people be the best version of themselves that they could. And it was this enormous transformation. And part of what I love about both your story and his is that, of course, we don't have to come to this revelation through tragedy. We have the opportunity as humans at any moment in time to realize what I know is important to me, what I know my values are, aren't actually the way that I'm showing up at work. Or I think I'm, I'm having this conversation right now with a company that I'm, I'm getting to work with that he has some team members, the CEO has some team members that essentially he's coddling because he, in part because he really likes them and in part because he's not 100% confident on what their abilities are. And so we're having a lot of really interesting and somewhat challenging conversations around setting his people free and seeing what they do. And maybe the bird will fall down, but probably not. I think a great test is being able, or a goal, depending on how you look at it from your point of view, but being able to, as a leader, being able to go away for three or four weeks and not check in on the business. If you have that comfort level that you can walk away, then you've done your job. You have the right people. You have the right infrastructure in place. You have the right processes. I think people that broker businesses will tell you that you almost have to have something like that in order to maximize the valuation of your company if you're trying to sell it. I just had lunch with a business broker the other day, and we, in part, were talking about that. And part of what can be so hard for CEOs and even leaders and managers is that they feel like, well, but if I can step away for that long, then I'm not needed. I'm not important. I'm not like, where's my value? And getting our egos out of that and like, you still have value, honey. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and when your company can thrive without your daily input into it, then as you said, you've built something that is really strong, that is really resilient and where your people are getting to be their best selves. And then we can figure out you and whoever your people are can figure out. So what is the best role for me? I'm having this conversation with a CEO right now. He loves doing busy work and he's the CEO of a $150 million company. He should not be doing busy work, even though he enjoys it. And so we have to find ways that he gets to play in that pond a little bit because he loves it. Like your value as the leader of this company is different. And so how do you step into that leadership? And if you can take a month's vacation, more power to you and more power to your company. I mean, that's the challenge I think that business leaders have is transitioning, especially someone who's a founder of a company or someone who still likes to be involved in day-to-day -day activities as, as I was. I mean, I was very... At that time, in that particular job, I was involved in a lot of the day-to-day -day activities, involved in a lot of the minutiae that went on in putting my seal of approval on contract language and presentation and change processes or technology changes that we were going to go put into play. And the reality is I didn't have to do half of that stuff. 
you didn't have to be doing right. Most of that probably. And ultimately I didn't have to do any of it. Right. When you got taken out, they continued to thrive. I did. And then I actually, when I came back, I was probably in that job for a couple more years after that, but it was very different. Those last two years that I was in that job was way different than at the beginning. I would love if you can share, like, what were the things that you were able to do or focus on when you had that level of confidence in your team? What did it create for you? What did that enable for you? Well, it gave me the opportunity to pick and choose. It gave me the opportunity to pick and choose which problems I got involved with. It allowed me to decide which clients I wanted to be close to. It partnerships that we could expand our business both inside and outside the company. And then, of course, developing new business opportunities, strategy, a lot of strategic thinking in terms of how we could take this business that was very prosperous in the United States and very successful. And then how can I take this and expand it worldwide? Yeah. That's both fun and enlivening and great for the business. It was fabulous. I think it began to excite a lot of the people in the United States because it's like, okay, we're now going to take this show on the road. So now you get to go to Asia and Europe and Australia and and you get to go spend some time with your colleagues around the world and tell them and show them what you were doing. This is when you could travel and you could do things like this. But it was great. It, it was a lot of fun, and which allowed me to exercise a global aspect of what I love to do about the jobs that I've been able to do in my career. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Thank you for the both the wisdom and the tips and the ideas around our security and our resilience. And also thank you for sharing about this very personal time in your life and what got transformed through the crisis and the hardship that you and your family were facing. I so appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable in that way and to to let your humanness out, which is one of the great things I think that this period in time has exemplified for all of us is that when we tell those stories, when we get real with each other, our lives are enriched and enlivened by those stories and really by feeling like we know each other. So I really want to thank and appreciate you for that. Thank you, Janine. I very much appreciate you inviting me to speak today and about several topics that I am obviously very passionate about and happy to discuss with anyone. And if your listeners would like to talk about this some more, please, I encourage them to call me if your listeners know of someone or if they personally are having a situation as it relates to mental health, I encourage them to go seek out a trained expert or even call the new 988 phone number, which is like a 911 for mental health. And do you know off the top of your head what that number is? 988. You just call 988. That's brilliant. I love that. So just like you would dial 911, you just dial 988. Yeah, it's the 988 Mental Health Hotline, and it just uh, it just came into effect, I think, last month, a couple of weeks ago. So you know when they have these events or presentations and they'll say, call 1-800-whatever, which no one can ever remember. A couple of years ago, legislation went forth in Congress to create a centralized number around the United States, similar to the 911 network, but this is explicitly for mental health, and it's 988. 
I think that that is so important. And I had not heard about that yet. Talk about something that I was not paying attention to. Super important. And all of us, I was reading an article just recently that was talking about the toll that the last two and a half years has had on our collective mental health and the incidences of mental health issues, needing somebody to talk to, needing medication, you know, whatever it is, please take advantage of those opportunities. Our mental health is so very important. You cannot say that enough. And something that we need to destigmatize. Exactly. It's, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to get help. Absolutely. Thank you, Janine. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I so appreciate everything that you bring and that you are. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Anxiety.